So, Sandy Joe, we're going to talk about the early church, hop into a little bit of Acts chapter 2, where there's tongues of fire. In your greatest gift of interpretation, tell me what should about a Honda or a Toyota means. (laughs) Welcome to the Whatever This Thing Is podcast, everybody. Welcome to the Whatever This Thing Is podcast, everybody, a podcast about this thing called the church. I'm one of your hosts, Chris. And I am your other host, Sandy Joe, the shorter host, but not like Zacchaeus short, more like Napoleon short, or like Mother Teresa short. Or like this intro is no longer short. (laughs) In this week's episode, we are going to continue our series on church history, moving from the moment where Jesus enters into the temple scene and into the birth of the church, the first steps of the church, the early church. That's what it is, guys. We're continuing in church history. Enjoy. Hey, Chris. How are you doing? I'm good. Good. I'm here. You ready for episode four of whatever it is we're doing this whatever this thing is do you know what podcast you're on right now i actually whatever i don't this know thing i is? don't really know where i am at the moment right. okay um yeah but, we're technically episode four i mean okay. i guess it's yeah we'll call it episode four the history thing the part two a b c and d is going to lose a lot of people who can't count or who don't know their alphabet so I think we already lost a lot of people in the first <laughs> 10 seconds of this episode <laughs> so we might need to just call this episode four okay. but what do we do in this episode so we're picking up the storyline of church history. Okay. Um, in our first episode of church history, you... Official episode of church history, right. which was... Which was... Episode two? Correct. See, you don't even know. Okay. Yeah, I know. So we went through tabernacle, right. temple. Right. Um, what else was there? Synagogue. Synagogue. There. And brought us right up to Jesus, right? We Yeah. And don't Jesus forget about always- the... The right Jedi, answer to every Rabbi, question. That's Jedi true. Masters. That's true. Okay. Yeah. So in this episode, we're actually going to be picking your brain. You've been doing a lot of reading on church history stuff. And uh, because it falls in line with this trying to unpack and deconstruct what is the church. And so we're going to be diving into that a little bit, right? Yeah. Yeah. I think we mentioned that, like, you got your doctorate by reading a lot of books. So I kind of feel actually like just I getting should, degrees. I don't, I, I can't, like I, I can't be honest doctor. about reading all of those books. I just got oh, degrees. All so. right, well, somebody should give me an honorary doctorate. Well, we'll see. Let's see how you do this episode. And then <laughs> actually, maybe, maybe yeah, we can grant you one. It, it might, I'm probably going to be relying on you a bit more here <laughs> on this one. But, um, yeah. So we, again, we're, we're, kind of just trying to under, understand this whole thing called church of what and really the idea of what we know of church as today right. and how we experience it both you and I have uh, grown up in the church right. my dad was a pastor as I was like practically born on a pew right it's all I've ever known um and so we're kind of just taking this time to say you know where did all this even come from how did it start go all the way back to the grassroots even in our last episode, we decided to even go back to the Genesis account and, and just look at what what's this whole story that the church finds itself placed in, the greater narrative of, of creation and God um, entering into relationship with flawed human beings and, 
I just so let me just stop you right there. Why is all of this necessary? I mean, some people can look at this and say, well, I mean, that's kind of cool or that's interesting, just learning about church and church history. But what does it matter today? Like, why is all of this necessary? Is it because we're trying to uh, we're trying to deconstruct um, why why we are doing church the way we are currently doing it today. So the Sunday rhythm of going every every week to this building and the pattern of worship and the service as we see it and the ushers and the tithing and the two fast songs and two slow songs and then a really, um, I was going to say metrosexual guy up there, but maybe <laughs> maybe a, what's a better word, a hipster guy up there doing a really cool sermon. Yeah, metrosexual was early that, 2000s. Yeah, sorry, wrong word. Hipster maybe today or something they get up there and they do this really great sermon and then everybody's you know they they genuflect and they do their sign of the cross and then they leave and it's all great right yeah as well, if that's you, you asked me the question and then I and then like i just went off into a long right and i actually forgot what the question was <laughs> so um, why are we doing why this? are we doing this there yeah. we go so everything you just said pretty much but um yeah, I guess for me, if I were to actually go on a personal level, I shared a bit in our intro episode, but just kind of finding myself in a place where I'm just asking why and, and trying to pull myself out of the the normal rhythms and cadences that I've always known of church attendance and the way you do church and, and just trying to see like, there, there often seems to be moments where what we're doing as the church does not seem to necessarily line up and reflect what it looks like Jesus intended. So let me ask you this question. Sure. Is there only one way to do or be church? Absolutely not. Okay. I don't, I don't and that's so. one of the things that we are challenging, that, that what we're looking at today in society is the society of people, society of Christians who are Christians in name only. And they do their church thing. And the church right now and the empire, the institution that it is, is it as effective as Jesus meant for it to be? And that that really, it's a hard question, but it's really what we're what we're trying yeah. to tap into. Well, and you kind of, you might need to be a little more clear on what you mean by, is more there more clear. than one way to do church? Because I think if you asked just about anybody, they'd say, oh no, there's multiple right. ways. But there's then you the ask them, then you ask the them how to do it and they won't know, they won't, they won't have any idea. So they are going to go to church on Sunday and they may change something about it, but they won't actually, they won't actually go to that original idea of what, of what church is. So when you say church, the words that come into people's minds are, let me go to a service this Sunday and give my tithes and offerings and maybe help out in the nursery or what, you know, any other ministry. And I've done my, I've done my Christian thing. Then you can say, well, is there another way to do church? Sure. Let's put the sermon at the front and worship at the end of the service, right? Or sure, let's do service outside or sure. Let's, um, let's make it shorter or let's make it longer. But but they're only talking about the service part, right? Right. Which is where church, the focus of it's, church has become. Yeah, when, when we talk about church, more often than not, in probably 95% of the time, um, we refer to that weekly gathering. So again, like you're saying, whether that be the space where we gather in a traditional you know, type space, like a cathedral, warehouse, whatever, the cool way to do it is now, or if, even if it's in a home, like even it could even be in a home, but typically when we refer to that word church, we're instantly thinking of the weekly gathering. Right. So if you were to ask somebody, hey, what's your church like? Most of the time they're going to tell you the the type of music yes. or what the 
type of preaching or 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 the, the denomination if they or know the denomination it. If, if they know yeah, it. sometimes right. they don't know that. Anyways, so so yeah, that's that's kind of man. We we got into a bit there, but it's very important it because we're not just. I mean, we're having fun talking about yeah. all of this stuff in church history, but really, why is it relevant? It's relevant because we think we think what the church has become today is really it's just failing in its attempt to um, to impact the world, to be the kingdom and to be the light and to to grow as as Jesus's followers. And this is a problem. This is a problem that we have. This is a problem that a lot of people have. And so we want to we we want to ask these questions that maybe help people begin to think and be and pull people out of maybe that whole whole um, thinking in terms of that their their Christianity relies upon that that Sunday gathering and think bigger, think bigger, right. think globally, think kingdom of God worldwide. Um, and so this this thing that we're doing, I think, is very important. So back to church history. Yeah, that I'm just going to keep taking the lead. It takes us perfectly it, back if there, you don't right? mind, and no, actually you, don't you, care if you, you do mind. This. So <laughs> we'll just we'll just keep going. Um, where we left off with Jesus and. He was doing some pretty radical stuff like going into their temple and just throwing it apart. And right before his death, he was, he was, that was his final kind of moment to throw off the, the institution, the system, this controlling system that it had become. And we mentioned that he only uses the word church just a couple times in the book of Matthew. And again, some people think that Matthew may have inserted that word that would Jesus have even used that word? Did he coin how long, term? how long after um, Jesus is on the scene does does Matthew's gospel come on the scene? They think it's in the 60s. They think Mark was first in the 50s, so that's probably, so you know, 20 years, 20 15, 20 years. Yeah. Okay. So Mark was first, and Mark doesn't mention that word church. And that, again, that's that Greek word ekklesia, which means called out or called out ones. And so Matthew writing about 10 years later is the one who uses those two words. And so had the community already begun to form, of course, had they already begun to, to uh, the book of Acts, the events in the book of Acts had already taken place by the time Matthew is writing. All of those events, okay. they happened, you know, right after Jesus's ascension. And so are they using the word church or ecclesia more, more often in that, um, in the setting that Matthew is writing his Probably. gospel, because so pro- I'm just trying to figure out, it yeah. does make sense yeah. to where, you know, okay, he's he's obviously writing this gospel later. Yeah, this is not like a word for word verbatim transcript no. of exactly what happened. So the influence of Absolutely. his cultural moment is obviously going to show up in his writing. Absolutely. So I I, I understand where he possibly could insert that language yeah. there and and say kind of that's what Jesus was was referring to whether or not Jesus used that actual word you know again i know this may be controversial to some of you in your understanding of the bible but it's very possible that Jesus didn't actually use that word but Matthew is using that word to say this is what Jesus was referring to he was referring to the community the community of disciples so the events in the book of acts have already taken place okay. and they yeah the this understanding of the community as it was becoming by the time Matthew writes 30 years down the road they are these these pockets of communities all over Palestine, Israel, all over up into Asia Minor, and beginning to go up into Europe. Um, one of the things that we were we were uh, talking about before is the whole Acts chapter two and the whole tongues thing. Um, 
that you yeah eat. so so that's that was one of the questions i was going to ask you oftentimes you see um a lot of people would say that acts chapter two pentecost that is the official birth of the church and so the reason why i wanted to ask you about that is because you always just seem to say no to yeah, everything I, <laughs> so. I like to be contrary that's just you know so what do you think hey, what would you consider that the birth of the church or I, would you push back on that i i would push back on that but partly to be contrary but partly because i i i i resist the the need for us to organize or institutionalize or uh, define moments and events. Um, we, we tend to make them bigger than they are. That was definitely an important moment. It was, it was an inauguration, maybe. It's kind of like uh, maybe a good comparison would be going back to all the way to King David. Well, King David was anointed when he was a boy to be king. Mm-hmm. But then he was he was uh, kind of anointed again by the the tribe of Judah to be the king. But then he had to be accepted by the other eleven tri- eleven tribes later on. And then he was anointed again. And then he was really inaugurated and brought in to be the king of Israel. It went through phases, and so his kingship really started at least internally way back when he was a boy. The church started. The community started really when Jesus began to call disciples to Mm -hmm. follow him and this new way of being, this new way of living. There were moments that were definitive. Jesus's death, Jesus's resurrection, the Pentecost, the day of Pentecost is a definitive moment because it's, it's kind of this marking off of for sure, this is a movement that is moving in this direction, but it really started even before that, these 12 disciples hanging out with Jesus that as, was a community of people who had been called out. Gotcha. As you're explaining it, it almost sounds more like it might be better defined as like a marker of of a certain level of maturity. Sure. So like if I were to say like the inception of the church is this like Jesus entering the scene and, and announcing the kingdom of God. Um, I, well, I don't know if that, but you're, yeah. the gathering of the disciples. Absolutely. The, and, and announcing right? the kingdom of God, I think, would right. be part of that. The gathering of the disciples, though, because we've said the church is is people. It's right. the called out ones. And right. the call, I mean, literally, Jesus is calling out to the disciples to come follow him. So, so maybe that's this like inception birthing moment. And then Pentecost is kind of this level of... Mat- maturation? Sure. Is yeah, right? no, you had the right word. Like I'm thinking like, okay, you know. You're about I, to I'm, say another word, but. <laughs> I've got I've got four <laughs> kids, and so I'm thinking through like, okay, my kids are born. Yeah, we're not we're not even going down that road. But, <laughs> um, but I'm just thinking like, okay, my, my kids, you know, we, we get the, the first sign that, oh my gosh, we're pregnant. It's incredible. Then, you know, you go through this stage of you know the the pregnancy and bigger and bigger and bigger and and you hear the heartbeat and there's all these moments they're born it's kind of like their first um you know the the kid gets onto the scene and then and you mark that day that they're born as their birthday right and And then there's this moment of oh they took their first step so maybe maybe pentecost is kind of like this first step moment for the church and and for for you know pentecostals um the belief that 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 was uh, really the, not the arrival, because the Holy Spirit had been around and has been around forever, but mm-hmm. the the anointing of the Holy Spirit, maybe the blessing, the commitment by God to to bless this movement with the empowering of the Holy Spirit. Uh, but you brought up something with the, with the connection way back to the Tower of Babel. Yeah, it's, uh, I've heard it, um, actually, I, I think I might have 
read this in one of Rob Bell's books. Ooh, am I allowed <laughs> I to say that? I think that's a bad word. Well, well for whatever. some. For I'm, some. A, I'm a huge fan. I don't care. <laughs> um, but no, there's other theologians who, who have made this point as well um, of of this kind of callback to, to the Tower of Babel, which if you are not familiar with the story, essentially it's all of humanity. It's kind of that peak of the first 11 chapters of Genesis where the storyteller is trying to um, portray a narrative of how evil humanity right. has gotten. It's like right? the best, the starting point, the best of humanity, and then the absolute right. worst. Right, so they, they all come together. Yeah. They're going to build this massive tower, Zegarat, or I don't know what the sure. thing is. But they're, they're trying to become God themselves, right? Trying to scale up to the heavens where, where the gods are. And they're doing it together. That was a key component that somebody shared with me a while back, that that this is human humanity gets at its worst at times when they come together and we're <laughs> no, we're, we're not always good together sometimes we actually do need to be apart because when we come together it's like the whole uh crowd crowd psychology or whatever it's called well, now like, you're just challenging a whole unity idea. i i know but this <laughs> idea of uh what is it there's a word that i can't think of in in i want to say social psychology where when when this kind of uh group group think not group yeah maybe along the lines of group think but there's another word for it that i can't think of that when you come together just like a uh you you go just with what the crowd is doing kind of mass hysteria and you 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 lose all logic and and reasoning and so i think that's what's going on there and so what happens to wrap up that story is they get to that point trying to cut me off and say i am going too long you're taking way too much time here (laughs) i will think of that word it will come to me good um but no as the storyteller continues the narrative you know god comes down is like you know i this these these guys can come together and do a lot of harm so i got to confuse them and and so also that's where the like the birth of all these different languages comes in right so he confuses them by spreading them out and giving them all these different languages and they can't understand what each other's saying so it's this this peak moment of of evil in humanity is right after the the story is trying to, to tell right and then now you compare that with this moment. Um, and remember what we said last time was that after, it's after that Tower of Babel story where God enters into covenant relationship with this evil humanity in the right. story of Abraham. With and, this singular person. Right. Starts he commits with one himself person. to these yeah. flawed people right. in an effort to restore um, all of creation through this one family that would eventually go out into all nations, Right. And so we come to this incredible moment here known as Pentecost where, you know, the, the book of Acts describes it as tongues of fire falling on mm-hmm. the, the believers waiting in this upper room. And they start worshiping God in these, these languages that um, are not uh, familiar to the worshiper, but right. are very familiar to people in the area who can hear. They're, right. they're hearing these people worship God in their own native tongue. Right. And so it's this incredible moment that kind of calls back to this Babel story of almost like this redoing this restoration yeah. project of, um, of you know, the, the different languages rather than causing confusion, there's, there's bringing this, this sense of unity and worship right. of God um, in this moment. And so it's this maturity moment, this step in the, in the, in the church's, um, life cycle that, that is extremely significant. And I think, yeah, absolutely. And I would agree with, with, 
you know, biblical scholars and theologians who draw that conclusion because you don't see something like that elsewhere in the New Testament. You do see the gift of tongues um, and it, it becomes a much more either an individual thing or something that you kind of do in a community gathering. But the tongue part, as far as it being an actual, what they call xenolalia, where you're speaking, Whoa. I know, I know, I'm just, just totally thrown out, thrown out those, there. those Greek words, but it's... Say it one more time. <laughs> <laughs> well, let me throw this one out there, glossolalia. You've heard of that one, right? Sure, glossary. Yeah, that, um, <laughs> that, that's what tongues means, or, or okay. it's glossolalia, but there, there is another way of describing what we think is going on in Acts chapter 2, it, the xenolalia. So they're speaking in a, in a language that's, that somebody else knows. So if I speak in tongues, somebody who speaks Mandarin may be able to understand understand what I'm saying because I'm speaking their language without having learned Mandarin, which is a really hard language and I would never be able to know. But it's the idea of speaking in another language through tongues. And you don't see that anywhere else in the book of Acts or in the New Testament other than that place right there. And so, and it's a huge moment where we think, you know, 120, we think are all still there together. And they're this kind of group, those who are left of the disciples who saw Jesus mm-hmm. and hung out with him. They're they're coming together and the Holy Spirit is blessing this movement. And then they're beginning to worship, as you were saying, and speaking in other languages that other people are hearing and understanding. And that seems to be this unification, this reunification of humanity. And so it's really a it's a cool moment. And again, as Pentecostals sometimes we go a little bit more into the kind of the Holy Spirit baptism, all that. And and that's that too is important, again, if you agree with that theology, but we shouldn't overlook what what is going on in a global, more global context, this idea yeah. of reuniting humanity, reuniting community, that this was what God had always envisioned, but because we were so screwed up, he had to separate us, and, and now he's attempting to bring us back together. Gotcha. So, yeah, we could go down so many different roads here. I mean, we already kind of have... Um, which it's all good stuff, but so we want to kind of start moving a bit forward here with, um, we, we've kind of set a precedence with tracing some of our history with kind of like some architecture. So you had, you know, started with, um, the architecture of the human being, sure. which is, you know, Genesis, human beings image created God. in God's image right. and all that. And that being the optimal, not perfect though. Cause yes, I know not you perfect. don't like that. And language. just a shout out to one of our listener listeners. Is it, and Ender. Ender, who mentioned, you know, the, the clarification, and I think we've said this, but to clarify, that is all humanity who is made in the image of God still to this day. Right. Very, Recognizing very that um, it's not just you who profess Jesus as your Lord and Savior, right. who who are the soul bearers of that image, but right. it is all of humanity. So all even humanity. the person you disagree with was created in the image Absolutely. of God and recognizing that image is extremely important. Right. And so that, that becomes the first structure. And in fact, that's the thing that, that gets broken, right? Yeah. Is this, this image of God gets damaged. We fail or, to recognize it in other people. Yeah. I don't, I we think decide, we can't, I think we can't rec, I, I would say that in my opinion, we can't recognize it in the other, that we mm-hmm. are seeing, we are seeing the other through a very broken lens. So again, this idea that now I'm looking at you and I'm seeing all the evil that you're capable of. Now yeah. I know, I know evil fully and I know what you are capable of and how you are capable of hurting me. And so that knowing that evil potential about you is going to prevent me at times from seeing your uniqueness and the fact that you are this 
this image bearer. Right. Um, and so it moves from there to the tabernacle, right, the, the next form of architecture, this next right, structure that we portable. can kind of make a marking point is, yeah, you mentioned tabernacle, this portable thing in the midst of these maybe hundreds of thousands of people, people set up right in the middle of camp mm-hmm. where God says, you know, this is where I'm going to have my presence. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it moves into possibly a human desire, possibly a, a selfish motive to create something bigger better right. something more that makes more shiny <laughs> a lot more shiny um with a lot more expensive stuff and uh, again you can take with that what you will what you will but um do we not see some parallels of those types of right. structures and that was today? the temple yeah that was the temple under solomon okay. and it was rebuilt it was rebuilt on with uh, ezra ezra's temple the second temple it was partly destroyed and then and then, and then rebuilt again. Um, Herod came along and and wanted to appeal to the Jews, and so he rebuilt it. And this was the temple. Herod's temple was the temple that Jesus was around and hanging out in, and that was finally destroyed mm-hmm. about forty years after Jesus. So seventy A.D. seventy C.E. Is that the uh, the abomination that? Or the desolation, oh, yeah. or what's it called? The, that, the abomination of desolation. But yeah. that actually is a whole other trippy conversation because... Isn't that a referral back to yes, the original... Um, abomination of desolation, which took place in 164 uh, BC under Antiochus IV, this Greek... Is that where he sacrifices yes. a pig in their temple? So sacrilegious. Right. I mean, it's, it's like, like the pig, worst thing you, you can do. you don't know, like... The the Hebrews would have nothing to do with these. Even though I like bacon. I mean, they who do doesn't? Not. They um, do not. Yeah. Well, still. that's what, that was one of the main reasons Jesus came, if you didn't know. To, is to allow us so to have bacon? So that we can enjoy bacon. <laughs> Praise the Lord. <laughs> Am I allowed to, that probably shouldn't have said that. But, <laughs> no, but yeah, it was this huge thing. Yeah, like, it was huge. So that was the first. And Jesus right. actually references that. He, you know, he, he calls back to, to what, Daniel even references in the book of Daniel, that happened. But Jesus says it's going to happen again. Now, what they think is that it happened in in AD 70 with Titus, the Roman, I forget if he was the general or the Roman Roman emperor, he comes in and he allows his Roman soldiers to go into the temple to loot it. So they go into the Holy of Holies and they pulled all the gold and silver. So that was considered a second abomination of desolation. Let me throw something out here, which is going to take us off topic, but it's fun. (laughs) Uh, I had a professor who talked about this because most people think that the temple is going to be rebuilt in Jerusalem. They think that's part of the whole eschatology. Oh, like and, Revelation. Yeah, but he didn't. He said, and uh, he he said, I don't think. Well, and I don't. I don't think it's going to be rebuilt either. There's no way that would that would be World War Three. You can't remove the Dome of the Rock there and rebuild this temple. And mm-hmm. the temple that Ezekiel is talking about is so big it wouldn't even fit on the Temple Mount. So it probably was a was a. Um, uh, like a figurative or, or you know, okay. metaphorical thing that'll be in heaven. And so that this professor was saying that, well, and he jumps forward to what Paul says. Paul refers to our bodies as the temple of the Holy Spirit, right? Right, right. we've mentioned that in previous episodes of S- right. walking temples. So if the two first two temples, there was an abomination of desolation, people going into the Holy of Holies and doing the worst possible things imaginable, and but we are now God's temple. What would be the worst thing that could happen to us that would be this abomination? Hmm. Something 
we're allowing something to come in and take the place on inside of us, I guess. The I whole mean, apostasy. Christians, true general, true, I mean, true devoted Christians falling away, abandoning God. And that word apostasy is referenced throughout hmm. uh, throughout the eschatology yeah. uh, time frame that they're talking about all of these Christians who will fall away in these times and that that actually will be that third and final abomination of desolation. So the temple, this is kind of relevant because it goes back to the temple. The temple, <laughs> when Jesus was there, it was, and even after that fall, you know, 600 years prior when the first temple fell, it was no longer, I think, it was no longer something that God really cared about and wasn't interested in rebuilding. And so Jesus was able to interact with it. He was able to to go up to the feasts and the festivals, but it was never something that was his focus. And when it was finally destroyed, and even prior to that, the community had already begun to meet elsewhere. They had begun to meet in homes. They had begun to meet wherever they could. And in the early church, that's what they did. They came together. They, They had communion together. They began to read the Old and the New Testament, which was beginning to form. Letters were going to beginning to be written. The Gospels were beginning to be written. They began to read those as they came together. They shared with one another what each other needed. And they, they allowed that to be their, their marker, the defining moment or the defining aspect of their lives, their commitment to following Jesus and their commitment to loving each other. Okay, so just to keep everybody on the same track and page we again we've we're, it's like kind of like we're entering into the the new phase of of what god's up to in the kingdom you know old one again started creation in in god's image tabernacle temple um we even you know there was these synagogues rabbinic system comes up jesus is starting this new thing and so now there's Let's try to can follow along those same lines of, of the structure or maybe the architecture. So what was the structure and the ar- architecture so, of the early church? I think it returns back to the human being, the, to the, the people. They initially, like you said, they, they start meeting in homes, right? Um, just because, I mean, you got to gather together yeah. and, and be a community somewhere. They didn't have like gyms and schools and, and movie theaters and other things that they could meet in. They they were only able to meet in homes and they had right. to do it undercover because they were going through various times of persecutions. They were first persecuted by the Jews and then they were persecuted by Rome. We know that Nero... Um, I think it's funny. They think he might have had like an STD or something. That that's what. Really? Yeah. That that's why he was so crazy. I just think that's funny. Um, <laughs> that yeah. I mean, he was seriously. You heard it here. STDs are funny. <laughs> <laughs> that he was seriously crazy. That and he would you know put Nero killed. The thought is that Nero killed Peter and Nero killed Paul and right. in the early sixties and that he would put Jew uh, not Jews put Christians on his lawn like he would tie them to stakes and put them on his lawn and then light them on fire to be like yeah, to be crazy. like night tortures uh, torches torches yeah uh, tortured but night torches um, and so they're going through these various times of persecution so it was they were often meeting undercover we know when you get into like um, the catacombs in in Europe like Rome and and uh, uh, what is that country? Italy, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that they've got all of these underground like passageways where they would either be buried or they would have to hide out right. in. And so they went through various moments of persecution, not all the time, and sometimes not as bad, I think, as we often think. But it was there were times it was bad, and then there were times it was just fine. 
yeah, yeah. I, I kind of want to maybe let's try to get wrap up like a an idea of maybe that first couple hundred years of of the church and and what it was like. What were their beliefs? So, so they're meeting in homes. They're obviously the their scriptures as far as the New Testament is not even completed yet. It's not right? completed, it's, but they are. They are. Paul is writing letters, as we know, and and in the early church, what would happen is he, uh, he would write a letter to one church. They mm-hmm. would get the letter. They would copy it down so they copy the whole thing by hand okay they would keep the original and then they and would circulate. send a copy exactly they would circulate okay. that and again depending upon your interpretation of of how you think the bible came together that is what scholars believe also was taking place with the gospels that the gospels first started out as these stories that were being shared shared about jesus and then the gospel writers began to say hey wait some of these stories are really weird and they didn't actually happen and so let's begin to write them down they began to ro- write them down and then they begin to share them uh, throughout the early church, they would they would um, they would they would circulate them to the various to the various churches, and and so they would those formed part of their um, part of their liturgy. Okay. They would read the gospels. They would read the letter out loud. They would read Paul's letter or the gospel letters out loud. They would worship together. They would have communion and, uh, and communion and debate on whether or not that was actual dinner or what whether would it was. Look like I think it was a dinner, as some yeah. some people believe. I think that every time they got together, they had food from at least from everything I understand, and not just communion. a little cracker wafer and a little cup of grape right, juice, right. which is just. I mean, especially when you're hungry on a Sunday morning, you eat that little cracker and that grape juice, and it's like, it's dang, just where's the to rest of make it? Right? Angrier. Yeah. And hope the pastor's going to really wrap up on his first conclusion. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, no, I, well, they, I mean, sounds like a 60s type of thing, but they actually would call it like the love feast. Yeah. Right. They're, they're, they'd get together. But they would only eat. So that's the clarification. Right. <laughs> yes. But this actually got them into a lot of trouble. Um, yeah. This was one of the reasons why they were persecuted, because like you said, they, they had to do this in hiding. They do yeah. it behind locked doors. It wasn't like this. Um, hey, invite any of your friends. We've never met them. Cool. Bring them over to our house and enjoy the love feast. Like, like not that they were closed off to anybody, but it was dangerous to right. do that. Right. Right. And so you'd have the rest of the community around there who weren't a part of this um, these, this church community who would be wondering what's going on behind those closed doors. So I, some writers are saying that, you know, that they would be accused of these cultish, um, things of, uh, what do you call it? When you well, eat human beings. Yeah. Uh, uh, cannibalism. cannibalism. Yeah. In fact, that's because, the Romans. The Romans yeah. thought that they were cannibalists because they were, they'd hear the whole flesh and blood of yeah. Jesus. And, yeah. What they're eating somebody behind those doors. Right. Yeah. It wasn't, I mean, they were, of course were, were reaching out to a certain extent, but you, when you became a disciple or a follower of the way, as they were originally called, or they, they began to be called Christians when you wanted to join this, you, for whatever reason, wanted to join this this cult, as it was originally thought of, or this sect, you actually, I mean, it was a dangerous thing for you to do. And so, right. and there's there's reports of people having to go through like extensive discipleship type type stuff. They had to memorize certain things. They had, we, they had to be certain that this person actually really wanted to follow Jesus. Yeah. They were probably, I'm going to guess that they were probably following the original rabbinical discipleship model that the Jews had, oh, okay. that they were using. Yeah, that makes the sense. same idea of memorizing scripture and following the rabbi. They, they just carried that on through. Yeah. This idea of like instant conversion was 
often frowned upon. I'm not going to, it was, I mean, you've got the story of like the Ethiopian eunuch, you know, and saying, but he had it explained to him. Philip took the time as he's there with, but it is in this moment. It obviously wasn't years, but it seems like for the most part in the early church days, there really was this like, no, you need to be discipled and And understand, show transformation. That that, that word is what's extremely, what I think should be an extremely important word in this podcast is this idea of transformation of, of, of becoming different, becoming like Jesus, different from who you were, right? There has to be transformation. That's, that's so key and so important to everything that Jesus is about, right? right? Is, is this transformation within, um, and so this idea of just bring masses here and, and instantly get them to raise a hand and, and for fear of hell, right? right? I mean, that's, Make that's sure you our, punch your ticket to heaven. That, that's our MO today. That was, a, if you died tonight, fun. Chris, where would you go? <laughs> where would you go? We can do a conversion moment right here, right now. We, we gotta, we gotta make sure you are actually saved. I mean, well, oh, is that debatable? I'm not sure if I'm ready for that yet. <laughs> we need to do a few more episodes. <laughs> <laughs> but anyways, yeah. yes, this this idea of of Instant. following and practicing yeah. the way of Absolutely. Jesus was this true life transforming decision. And you didn't necess- you didn't want to just join again to escape a hell like model because what you are going to experience as a Christian was going to be tough. You were going to be persecuted. This was not going to be easy. This actually required investment and effort and transformation, as you've said. Mm-hmm. Dallas Willard, one of my favorite theologians, he has this phrase that he says, grace is opposed to effort, but uh, I'm sorry, grace is opposed to earning, but not effort. Mm-hmm. And so it, it that was very much a part of the early church model that you, this lifestyle of Jesus, it actually involves effort. You can't be a lazy bum and, and, and just say, well, I, I want to get to heaven. That really wasn't even part of their, right? Part of their again their mode of operation. Yeah, one of the uh, the books that I've been reading, um, it's called A People's History of Christianity, Christianity by Diana Butler Bass. Which, if any of you guys are interested in learning some more of this, it kind of gives a different um, narrative of church history. It's not just kind of like a this year this happened this year. It's kind of telling a a counter story mm-hmm. of kind of the beautiful undercurrent narrative that has flowed all throughout history in contrast to a lot of the major events that we um, listen to. But in that book, she has this quote by Justin Martyr that yes. kind of talks of the the transformation. And he was one of these, these early church history guys. Right. Um, and he says this, he says, we who formerly valued above all things, the acquisition of wealth and possession now being what we have into a common, now bring what we have into a common stock and communicate to everyone in need. We who hated and destroyed one another and on account of their different manners would not live with men of a different tribe. Now, since the coming of Christ, live familiarly with them and pray for our enemies. That's so good. So it's this crazy transformation yeah. of, of these people who, who are realizing, man, it used to be, if you're not of our tribe, you're our, enter, you're our enemy. Right. It's us against right. them. Now he's he's saying, man, since the coming of Christ, something has happened right. that has transformed our way of living. Um, in that book, she, uh, Diana Butler Bass, describes Christianity as 
it, it was this countercultural way of life that bettered the existence of people who lived mm. in extremely difficult times. And I think that's that's what you've touched on is key. This idea that the transformation or the the new life that Jesus offered was not a new life of wealth, was not an instant heaven and an instant, you know, ticket to to whatever we want. It was not and we'll I'll probably tick off the very few listeners that we have. It was not a prosperity gospel idea, right? <laughs> right? It was what was Jesus offering? A new life, a new inner life, a new character transformation, a restore a restored relationship with God, a restoration with with ourselves and humanity that Jesus was offering true inner transformation that would flow outward. And that was it. Why do you want to convert to Christianity? Why do you want to leave your pagan religion? Why do you want to leave Judaism? Because Jesus offers you a a new inner hope that you cannot find anywhere else. You're not going to get rich off of it. Mm-hmm. You, um, uh, The afterlife is still kind of a vague thought, a nebulous thought at this point. But you, you will have something inside that changes your way of life. And you're your the way of looking at life and others and the world is going to transform. Well, that was a lot of really good information. We're going to put a pause in it there for this episode. On the next part in this series, we're going to come back in a return to this grassroots movement that's on the fringe of society. And we're going to take a look at how they move from this organic people group to suddenly becoming this arrogant empire controlled by the elite. Ooh. Yeah, who is right. Join us next time on the Whatever This Thing Is podcast. <laughs> <laughs>